Bismillah, alhamdulillah, salatu wassalam ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Um, welcome to everyone, salamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Welcome to this uh, event, cage event, uh, marking the 19th anniversary of Guantanamo's opening. Um, the title is Guantanamo, uh, the end game question mark, and that's really the question which we're going to try to answer tonight and a uh, um, uh, pathway, inshallah. On this very day, 19 years ago, a first batch of Muslim men landed on Guantanamo Island, who did, chained and beaten. They were taken to cages where some remain to this day. 779 Muslim men have suffered in Guantanamo. Elders as old as 87 and children as young as 12. Many have been released, some have died there, and 40 remain prisoners at Guantanamo to this day. Tortured thousands of miles away from their family, detained without charge or trial, without a crime. The history of CAGE is very much tied to that of Guantanamo. CAGE was created to advocate for those unjustly detained and imprisoned there, to justice on them. And tonight we have gathered for that purpose once again. Tonight we've got very uh, distinguished and esteemed guests um, brothers uh, whom you will hear from, brothers who, are, who have suffered and survived torture and unjust imprisonment, but who have chosen to be a voice for those left behind. They've chosen to help bring about justice and turn this page of oppression with Guantanamo prisons. Um, before our first guest and first speaker joins in, we will start with a short recitation from the Quran, and then we'll crack on with the program, inshallah. Um, just before that, know that we will have three speakers and there will be an opportunity to ask questions at the end. So make sure that you ask your questions, not in the chat, but in the Q&A box, inshallah. And without further ado, we'll start with the short recitation of the Quran, inshallah. A'udhu billahi minash shaytanir rajeem Bismillahirrahmanirrahim أم حسبتم أن تدخلوا الجنة ولما يأتكم مثل الذين خلوا من قبلكم مأسأتهم البأساء والضراء وزلزلوا وزلزلوا حق الرسول والذين آمنوا معه متى نصر الله ألا إن نصر الله قريب This verse is from سورة البقرة and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks a simple question. And do you think that you will enter paradise while you will not be tested like those who came before you were tested? They were touched by poverty and hardship and were shaken until the messenger uh, and those who believed with him asked the question, when will the help of Allah come? And the reply was, indeed, the help of Allah is near. Uh, the help of Allah is near, and today you will hear from some brothers who have been tested and who have received the help of Allah. The first of whom is our brother Muhammad Wulslahi. Um, Muhammad Wulslahi is originally from Mauritania. At the end of 2001, he was kidnapped by the CIA and sent to Jordan, where he was kept for eight months in the secret black sites. Uh, in August 2002, he was transported to Guantanamo, where he remained for the following 14 years without charge or trial. In Guantanamo, he wrote his memoir, 
uh, in 2005, which remained classified uh, by the U.S. government until 2013. And in 2015, uh, this uh, diary, which he wrote in Guantanamo, uh, was published and became the first work to be released by a still in prison Guantanamo detainee. Since his release, uh, Mohamed Ouslahi has become a prolific speaker and writer. And uh, his life most recently has inspired uh, the new Hollywood movie, uh, The Mauritanian, starring Tahar Rahim and Jodie Foster. Uh, Brother Mohamed, the floor is yours, inshallah. Thank you so much, Brother Arno, and thank you, Abdul Basit, and the other panelists. And this is the first time I am with Muadam on the same panel. And Muadam has been the strongest voice for us and for human rights in general. I remember seeing him when we were allowed many years later towards channels and he he spoke everywhere he didn't care what channel he didn't care about the politics of the channel and that's very brave and uh, i am really very grateful and i say to you and before i start introducing myself i want to ask you uh, where were you in uh, echo do you have any idea that's Mu'adham. I'm, I'm sorry, Muhammad. Salam alaikum. I didn't hear your question. Can you repeat your question? Uh, I'm just wondering where you were in Echo Special. Do you, do you remember? Do you have any remembrance? Uh, I was in Camp Echo, yes, of course, from 2003 to 2004. Um, okay. And I didn't see any other prisoners, but I did hear voices. But I think the place where I saw you, which you may not remember, was actually inside Bagram. I think I saw you in Bagram. <laughs> I think we were in the same prison cell in Bagram for a very short while, and then they took you away. Ah, uh, okay, okay. So and at that time, I think you had hair. Yes, I came from Jordan, yes, with hair. You're right. So uh, when I came to, uh, this was the time that we shared echo because I was taken from uh, uh, India Black uh, on August 23rd or 24th of 2003. And then I remained almost for the remainder of my, remained, remainder of my days in uh, Echo. And then I, the only like, the only sign of life I saw in that cell was very old, uh, rest of soap that was used by the brothers who were who was before me they forgot to clean it away and i kept staring at it that's it that's all i had in the cell you know because i was on punishment and i knew there was some someone there and uh, very few people then were in uh, in that camp and you being one of them and yes. Uh, yes. Um, I, I think uh, myself. I, um, I was one of those special people in Quebec. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. So anyway. So my name is Mohammedul Salahi. I am from Mauritania. I was born in 
Mauritania in the south, 1970. And when I was very young, uh, after high school, I earned uh, a scholarship to study in Germany. And to make a very, very long story short, I, my mother was sick, as uh, I was told. And uh, I came back to visit her. And uh, I was taken. I was stripped of my passport. That's before 9-11, mind you. And uh, so, and I was kidnapped, kidnapped by, it's a very big operation that was orchestrated between uh, Canadian intelligence, American intelligence, and especially the intelligence of my own country to the everlasting shame of us and uh, Jordania. So I, uh, I benefited from uh, the uh, Western education as much as I uh, also benefited from uh, this traditional education, you know, going to the Islamic schools in Mauritania. And uh, so uh, first I was taken to Jordan and uh, I, I was like, I was so scared. I mean, like everything we hear about Jordan is like very bad, very just there are no human rights, there is no due process, at least that's what I read and what I hear from the people I talk to in Germany. And I never been to Jordan. I had nothing to do with Jordan. But they told me back then that Americans insisted I should be sent to Jordan. And the problem back then there was no Guantanamo Bay, mind you. So this whole operation you know, of kidnapping young Muslim men, especially men, and torturing them, using Muslim uh, people to torture Muslims. The, this politic actually was before Guantanamo Bay. I stayed in this uh, secret prison in Jordan. And, uh, you know, I kept asking, they have a very big library, and I kept asking for books. And the only thing, the first thing I read in the books are the very small notes that the detainees leave. And I read so many stories that the detainees scattered over the books and that the guards couldn't find because they take books and inspect them. And by Muhammad, same thing happened in uh, Guantanamo too. So detainees keep, kept like writing very small messages in the books and <laughs> that's how you know, more or less many people communicated. And so Jordanian made their investigation and apparently they found that there was nothing against me. I mean, I'm not a violent person. I mean, I'm a da'iya. I mean, I, I call you know, for our tradition and of course I went to Afghanistan, Afghani people. And that was like back then, very big thing, even like in Europe. And I can tell you only one example that I got the visa for Afghanistan from the Mujahideen Bureau that was, that was actually recognized by a German government. This is crazy thing. So, and I was taken to Afghanistan actually. The CIA took me to Afghanistan after Jordanian world eight months. And left in Bagram, uh, in July of 2002. And it was like I was in a time capsule. I didn't know anything. I thought I was in the Philippines. And 
then they took me to this place and uh, and i i kept like interpreting everything i hear as as if Filipinian people and they took me to this room and there was like a water bottle and then on this water bottle there was Russian written on it and then I said oh darn it I really wish I could read Russians you know and I kept and I took it upon myself to study how to read Russian and actually I did it I learned <laughs> to read Russian and then uh, so uh, my English was not really good. It was not enough to uh, uh, carry on a conversation. Very, because I was never interested in studying English. You know, I'm a programmer, everything, but, you know, I don't know how to speak the language. And so they brought me uh, to call, like, my lies. They brought me a German guy working for the CIA. And uh, he started interrogating German. It was really very, I didn't do anything. So why, why am I here? He said, it doesn't matter. It didn't matter back then. He said, whether you didn't or didn't do it, you will be punished, he said. And he uh, told me uh, the history about, of his country, like this uh, Purit Puritans and how they punished people. And, and I was, it, I was really very scared. And, yeah, I, I am ashamed to say that I was so happy that they took me to Guantanamo Bay because at least in Guantanamo Bay they keep a record of people. But in Jordan and in uh, in Afghanistan, no records, nothing. You are not a person. Later on, also in Guantanamo Bay, they uh, also disappeared records of certain people, me included, when I was put in uh, the torture program along with other uh, brothers. I want to say here, so I think I can safely say that I blame first and most my country and the Arab and Islamic country who were involved in all of this. Muhammad, you have no idea what would have happened to you. I mean, you've been tortured. I mean, you've been mistreated. But you have no idea what would have happened to you hadn't you been a British citizen. And we have to say this. We have to say this, that in this country, in my country, after my release, I was denied my passport. The United States requested me to be, can you believe that a person, a British person or a German person could be treated the same way? I mean, we need to open our eyes and all we need in this part of the world is to be treated with respect and to enjoy the same rights that people like you guys enjoy in this at least you know, and uh, I'm so happy to be part of this channel and sorry for this very long monologue. And I'm here to do anything. First, the big is Alhamdulillah, this story of uh, the detainees in Guantanamo Bay, the 40 men who are uh, there, and we pray for them and we will do everything. Muhammad, before before we you know you end because we can't let you get off so easy uh, you've got to tell us something about this big elephant in the room because people are interested this is 
probably this is the thing. This is it. This will. This may be the elephant that breaks the camel's back. And uh, so we want to know a little bit about why you did the film, what's the inspiration, and what is it like working with those big Hollywood names. So, uh, so the book came out when I was in prison. So the book was like a series of letters that I wrote to my lawyer, lawyers, plural, and the leading counsel uh, is Nancy. And uh, I just saw my windows, you know, in the black, I wasn't allowed to have a pen, but I kept stealing like pen and paper from other tennis and write. And <laughs> I wrote a lot. I didn't, my English was not good enough to write in English. You know, there were like this uh, British brothers who helped me. I have to give a shout out to Bishra Rawi and the tip tense guys, you know, and I mean, Bishar Rao spoke very English very well, but they are younger. They did not speak English very well. So I was really, uh, <laughs> but I was trying everything. Then I kept writing in English, in Arabic, in German, in French, all at the same time. And then everything was confiscated when I was taken to, uh, to India block and was disappeared. And then when I saw my lawyer and I was very upset, uh, she told me, I could send their letters and they will be uh, safe. And then I started writing, writing in, in the, uh, in three months, I finished everything. And I sent to her and then they said, this is not like privilege. This is a book. And then it took us seven and a half years to allow us to have that book published with the uh, with the uh, heavy redaction that you already saw. And uh, to this day, I'm not allowed to see my own writing. And, uh, and so as soon as it uh, came uh, out, was printed, I was in a prison, I remember. I was in Spanish lesson because when you left Muadham, they allowed us to have like uh, lessons, but I was not allowed. I was only allowed the last year. And I chose Spanish. And then we, they didn't have a, a Spanish teacher. There was this uh, Egyptian guy and who was working for JTF and he said he could help me. And I was sitting there with him. There was like a TV channel, Russia Today. And the first headline, the first everything, it was about my book. And I was so happy, you know, that, you know, that also my story was there. And uh, so, uh, some people from Hollywood, uh, very good people. By by the way, there uh, are very good people. I, that's just what I want to tell you, Mu'adham, but I will tell you more details. And yeah. they said, they insisted that he's Lloyd and his wife. So his wife was, uh, she knows Arabic and she lived in Morocco. She uh, was married to a, a Moroccan man. And uh, uh, so for some time, so they insisted they want to uh, buy the rights to make a movie. You know, they made like very big like movies like uh, Tomb Raider. They 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 produced that and other. Uh, and then when my lawyers came to me and asked me, I always said yes, yes, I, yes. I have nothing to lose. Everything that came to me, I said yes. Everyone who gave me any help, I said yes. I was completely desperate and. I must admit that, you know, Mu'adham, uh, this is like at least where I, you know, 
in Germany, like we have uh, a lot, we are very afraid of non-Muslims, you know? And we ha there are reasons actually why, but people who helped us the most in Guantanamo are non-Muslims, you know? Sure. Those are really good people. And uh, because I always say either you are a Muslim, a good person, or you are the project of a good person. And, uh, and so they insisted. And uh, I always said, yes, whatever conditions, you know, like money, I, I didn't care much because in, after 16 years in Guantanamo Bay, I don't even know what money is. I don't even, even know the difference of dollars or one dollar, you know, either has no use for me. So, and it uh, took very long time to find this director, the, uh, the Scott, Scottish director, Kevin McDonald, he said he needed to speak to, with me and so, and all of them, they always said, we need first to speak with the writer, so, and every time they spoke with me, they said, yes, we will do the movie, and uh, because Tahar Rahim, when he first got the script, he said, thank you, no, another like Muslim terrorist, I don't want to do that anymore, you know, I'm fed up. And they said, no, no, this is not like that. You know, just read it. And he told me when he read the book, he cried like a child. And, uh, and yeah, and then the rest was a story. So I tried as much as I could to uh, have the script. And because there are certain like traditions, you know, there is like uh, Salah, Salat al-Janazah, and he had to perform. And I even offered them to read over him because, you know, I have no accent. And, and, and alhamdulillah, I taught him a lot, Salatul Janazah, I taught him how to do the prayer and so. And, 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 but I did not push for anything because this is like an artistic uh, work. And I let them do their job. And I only told them I'm offering my help whenever you need me. And uh, so when the movie came out, they asked me to uh, watch it if I wanted to, but I couldn't watch it because it's very violent. You know, it's uh, 17 years old, uh, like rated uh, 17 plus. And, uh, and I just couldn't like, they really don't like, watch any violent movies or any type of violence. I only watch like comedy and so, and, uh, and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch asked to call me. And I said, yes. And I was like very like anxious because I don't know how to talk to like Benedict Cumberbatch and so. And like a certain, a certain, uh, a certain protocol when you speak to him. So he's, assistant called me and I had to wait like one hour and then he called me and he was a very nice guy and he said he is inviting me to uh, to UK but believe you or not they still are not allowing me to come visit like my friends like yourself and like those newly uh, found friends and I know this is, it was his pleasure and he really liked to do movies and to make like people who don't have voice to make their voice heard, especially in this part of the world. 
And that's it. And I'm inviting you guys all to uh, watch the movie and to write about it. And it's not my movie. It's Mu'azam movie. And it's uh, uh, the 40 men who left. Just tell the story of Edetini. That, that's that's amazing. I mean, I think we could lift, we could listen to you for 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 a very very long time. I know you have to rush off to another event, um, but just learning these small little snippets from you um, is really quite a, is quite amazing. And you know, like you said, how do you ever, whenever you're doing your talks, you you sh you shorten 14 years into 15 minutes or 20 minutes, and uh, <laughs> that that that's going to become one of your arts as well. You're going to become a a, a specialist in that. Um, so, I mean, just finally, very, very, very briefly, if you can tell me that um, w when you came back to Mauritania, how was your reception from the people and from, uh, you know, family? Obviously, family would, love, would wanted to see, but people and society, what kind of reception did you receive? Uh, it's, uh, it's amazing. Like, everywhere I go, like, everybody wants, you know that, I mean. Everybody wants to take picture with you, and I put the turban, you know, I, because you know I want to have some privacy. But people recognize me, even when I put the turban, and then say, ah, it's all positive. Uh, you know, people have this sense of justice, the sense that they don't want injustice, they don't want volume. You know, the amazing thing, Muawwa, volume, darkness are the same word in Arabic, in our tradition, you know? and, uh, and uh, you know, but we, we did not yet reach the level, the threshold, to say, you know, enough is enough. We want to be free. We want to say what we want, and we want to live our life without being, like, branded with bogus uh, accusation and uh, so on. Thank you. That's just so amazing. Finally, one last thing I remember, I just completely forgot. Your friendship with Steve, I, I, something I, I've had relationships and friends with the Guantanamo guards who have come on visit me, visited me and met with me. But yours is such, such, it's so different because he comes out into the desert and meets you in Mauritania. How does that happen? Very briefly, if you can tell me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's like, it's, uh, it's surreal. Like, because actually in the house, uh, Muazam, I made him a small cell. In, in <laughs> he stayed with me, you know, and uh, you know, like uh, my wife, the mother of Ahmed, inshallah, you will meet them. The, she is American too. She's one of the lawyers. She represents uh, some of the detainees. And one of her detainees is free or even more than one. And... Oh. Uh, uh, so they were laughing. So because I put him in the living room and I made a very small like uh, cell. I told him now I'm in charge. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly what I, I didn't make a room. But when a, one of the, uh, the, the soldiers came and stayed with me, I, I, I closed the door. I said, listen, this time I have the key. <laughs> <laughs> very much. <laughs> listen, it's just, you know, everybody uh, like sleep at the... A mosquito net, and I just called it a cell, you know, because <laughs> of mosquitoes, you know. I love you guys so much. I want to tell you others, and I'm coming to you guys, and I'm bringing the house down, and who is ever listening in a positive way.
Inshallah, we we can't wait for the day to you for you to come here. Inshallah, when all this COVID inshallah. stuff is lifted, we're all under lockdown at the moment. But Inshallah, they'll let you in this country, and you will bring the house down in the best way possible. And the first house bring down, Inshallah, will be Guantanamo. Inshallah, Inshallah, love you guys. Assalamualaikum. Alaikum. Unfortunately, brother has to go is has another appointment. But subhanAllah, it's uh, amazing that in our faith, uh, we are in events about torture and unjust imprisonment, yet you find brothers who've spent decades in, in, in prison and they bring a smile to your face. Um, we've mentioned several times the, the, the movie, um, so we will... Uh, play for you the, the, the trailer, inshallah, so you can have a look. It will be out on the 19th of February, inshallah. Have a preview, and we'll be back shortly, inshallah. Have a look after the event. The movie is out on the 19th of February, inshallah. Uh, it's the story of uh, Muhammad Pulslahi and his lawyer, the, the bond that they formed, and how they together managed to regain Muhammad's freedom. So it's an amazing story. It's a, a very unique way of telling the story of brothers in Guantanamo. And uh, we are very blessed to have him uh, today or tonight. And uh, have a look, inshallah, uh, after the event, of course. Um, both Muadlam and uh, Muhammad have mentioned uh, a prison or a camp several times as they were uh, casually talking, which is Bagram. And many people might not be aware of Bagram. Um, and our next speaker is actually someone who spent five years in Bagram, uh, Abdul Basit Zawran. Um, who is originally from Afghanistan, uh, Nangarhar, which is the east part of Afghanistan. In 2005, uh, Abdul Basit was kidnapped and taken to a secret black site, uh, just like Mohammed Wulslahi, before being transferred to Bagram Prison, a camp which many have described as worse than Guantanamo. And uh, as you've heard, uh, Mohammed Wulslahi said he was happy to be taken to, to Guantanamo, is something that Muadam has also said after spending time in Bagram and being taken to Guantanamo, he was glad to be in Guantanamo, even though it was such a horrible place. Abdul Basit remained in Bagram for five years without charge, without trial, and without a crime, before being released, without any explanation or apology. Um, he is also the brother of Mohammed Rahim al-Afghani, one of the last two Afghans uh, detained at Guantanamo. Um, with the support of Cage, Abdul Basit has launched an international campaign to obtain the freedom uh, of his brother, kept in Guantanamo for the past 13 years and now feared uh, to suffer from uh, several illnesses, uh, some due to his, his, the torture that he suffered for eight months at the hand of the CIA. Uh, he is the last man to have been taken to uh, Guantanamo and he's also the last man to have been subjected to the torture program. So, um, Abdel Basset, if you um, unmute yourself, inshallah, so subhanAllah, you know, we could speak about uh, your own story, which uh, in itself deserves a, a full event, subhanAllah. But in particular, we want to talk about um, the situation of your brother, Muhammad Rahim. So maybe just uh, before we start, um, if you just to share a few words about, your, about Bagram and your time at, at Bagram, um, just a few minutes before we go into the story of your brother, inshallah. Alhamdulillah. Salatu wassalamu ala Rasulullah. Uh, Jazakumullah khair, barakallahu feekum for inviting me. Uh, yes, uh, like uh, uh, the brother, Mauritanian brother, uh, Salahi, and uh, he spent time in Bagram and uh, Muazzam. Uh, he is the 
uh, like uh, before me and uh, very hard time in background. Anyway, uh, prison is prison anywhere that uh, they put you. But uh, subhanAllah, they kidnapped me from uh, uh, Jalalabad, from my city. Uh, I was guest with uh, one of my friends. So uh, they came at night, like 9.30 or something, and they raided. And uh, they took me to Jalalabad airport and then to Bagram, uh, the black site. I don't know what they call that, uh, but uh, you're calling that uh, black site. The CIA, they were uh, uh, start uh, questioning uh, me about uh, <clears throat> things that I never heard, like uh, about uh, first about Muhammad Rahim and. Uh, some people uh, in the, yeah, to be honest, Osama bin Laden and uh, these guys, where they are and how they But uh, they tortured, uh, subhanAllah, they tortured me for uh, 45 days regular. Uh, uh, in this panel, uh, who can understand the pain of detainee and uh, the pain of uh, torture? who survived that. Uh, so Muslim uh, can understand uh, the pain. For most of us, this is a, a story, a nice story. Uh, it looks good to listen, but uh, one who survived the, happened to him, they understand how, how it feels. So, SubhanAllah. For one month, uh, 30 days, they kept me awake for uh, every day for 23 hours. And they were giving me like one hour to sleep. And that was also a trick. Uh, when they were letting me to go to sleep, um, like uh, after maybe uh, five minutes or 10 minutes, they're coming and screaming on me suddenly. Okay, tell us this, tell us this, you know, just to make me say something. But I had nothing to say. And uh, after 30 days, for 10 days, they kept me in a small room uh, with AC, air condition, and uh, uh, they are calling crazy music uh, and big flush for 10 days, and they never let me to go to sleep. After... Uh, four days or five days, I was like uh, unconscious. I was not understanding what's happening, what's going on. But Alhamdulillah, uh, this thing finished and then they took me to Bagram and uh, been there for five years. Arrested in uh, March, April 2005 and uh, released uh, in 2010, March. 30th March. So uh, there was no case, uh, no evidence, but they, uh, we have been told always, like uh, you are a number, you are not a human being. When we were uh, complaining about uh, things like health and other issues, they were saying like, no, there are no rights, you know. Uh, no rights for you guys. You are uh, 
worse than animals. So subhanallah, and uh, we see these words used uh, for everyone, but uh, now they are uh, sitting in front of them, those numbers and uh, those, uh, those uh, worse than animals, they are sitting in front of them and talking. So subhanallah. So um, you're referring to the, the former Guantanamo prisoners who are now leading the negotiations in, in the Afghan talks. Um, actually, today a piece was published at the Intercept talking about your brother in the context of, of the negotiations and possibly of his release. Um, what I would like to ask you is like, who is Mohammed Rahim? Um, you know, you're his brother, you know him personally. So if you had to describe him, what would you say? Okay, uh, I will go to uh, 80s. So uh, we were five brothers. Uh, Muhammad is second in number. My older brother, his name was Abdul Aziz, and uh, uh, when we refused to Pakistan in 1980s, I born in the same uh, year of Hijra that we uh, uh, went to Pakistan. We did Hijra. So I born, I was a couple of months when we went to Pakistan. And uh, uh, Abdul Aziz, he was uh, like 16, 17 years old. So I was uh, two or three years old uh, when, uh, but uh, Abdelaziz, he was uh, definitely, he was Mujahid. He was fighting against uh, Russians. So um, I was three years when the news came and said like, uh, 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 to our family that Abdelaziz have been captured. Uh, they surrounded by Russians. They fought, alhamdulillah, and uh, when everything finished, they were not able to fight. Then they came and they captured. After torture and these things, this is their uh, their uh, their history, you know, the torture and these things. So they done that, and uh, I don't know when, how uh, they killed Abdulaziz, and uh, we didn't find his body and anything. So Muhammad Rahim, he was in that time. He was uh, a very young, very young. So he became uh, a person next because Aziz is gone, so he is now the older one. Uh, Muhammad Rahim is my brother and he is a very uh, intelligent person. He was very young, um, I remember, still remember. Uh, and uh, lastly, I spoke to one of his uh, students that he is white beard and uh, uh, his students are older than him and uh, always make fun of Muhammad Rahim because he was very younger than students. So Alhamdulillah, uh, he loved education. He went for uh, uh, high school from uh, high school. There was very famous Ma'ahad uh, Imam Abi Hanifa Rahimallah. So he studied there and uh, Arabic uh, and uh, English and these things. He is doing calligraphy as well, mashallah. He have uh, several, uh, many things, alhamdulillah. He's very uh, intelligent. Then he started jihad uh, against Russians and he was uh, with uh, Yunus Khalis, rahimahullah. Uh, so he was uh, busy in these things. In 1992, when Mujahideen took over of Afghanistan, then uh, um, he left uh, like uh, uh, 
military things and he was not a part of that. Then uh, United Nations started a campaign, they were calling uh, uh, drug control program and that stuff. So they give uh, an office to Jalalabad uh, for uh, Eastern, Eastern of Afghanistan. There are four provinces in East of Afghanistan, Nigrahar, Kuna, Lagman, and these things. So, so Muhammad Rahim became uh, from our Yunus uh, Khalistan Zim, he became a financial officer with the United Nations. So he worked with the United Nations from 1992 till 1995. Uh, after that, when Taliban came, uh, this office finished. Or, they recruit their own people. So uh, my brother, he uh, started his own business, uh, like uh, vehicles uh, business. And uh, he became uh, busy with his uh, tribes uh, things because he loved to work for a tribe. And uh, so then American came. Yes, please. Um, I just wanted to yeah, talk about this. Uh, most who served his people, whether he was in defending his country against the Soviets, teaching yes. in refugee camps, or being an anti-drug officer, he's always worked to, or leading his tribe, he's always worked to serve his, his, yeah. his people. Yeah. Um, he's been in Guantanamo for the past 13 years. Could you tell us what are the latest updates about him? Is there anything that... Uh, yesterday, uh, Mohammed son, uh, he had a meeting in Islamabad uh, via Skype with him. Uh, his health is same. Uh, he has a that lungs problem. Uh, so uh, he is not feeling well. And uh, to be honest, uh, there is no uh, cure. Uh, they don't have facility for that. Uh, only they have, uh, like I said, uh, not uh, a specialist to cure him. Inshallah, we are trying our best, like, uh, Cage, Zakumullah Khair, every one of you, you, Muazzam, Rabban, everyone, everyone from Cage, you guys done a lot for him. Uh, we are struggling uh, to bring uh, him out of this, uh, this, this, uh, this hell in dunya, in <laughs> Jahannam in dunya. There, there, uh, Subhanallah, I'm saying this, this, this word. Jahannam in dunya, but wallahi, whenever, uh, if you see the letters of Muhammad, he is writing uh, Guantanamo al-Mubarak, uh, because uh, they learned um, a lot uh, there. So subhanallah, uh, he's there, uh, Taliban also, they are asking for Muhammad, uh, and this is their demand, and they always uh, uh, saying they are asking for Muhammad. Uh, that's the. Uh, who go on the website? There's uh, interviews by Abdel Basset by his brother, in-depth interviews, interview from his former military lawyer who speaks very, very highly of, of him. Subhanallah. Um, it seems that everyone who meets him speaks very, very highly of him. Uh, and also, there is a, a petition that has been launched by the family and by Cage which I think will be posted. So please make sure that you, you, sign, uh, you sign this petition. And Abdel Basset, I would like to say um, a, a final word, inshallah, before, uh, before we conclude, inshallah. Um, whichever you feel like saying, what's your 
I remember uh, a month ago, me and uh, some other brothers, we were sitting in Muazzam's house. We had uh, dinner. And uh, well, I had those words made me cry and thinking, thinking, thinking till now that uh, Muazzam was saying like, uh, we had same, uh, Muazzam said like, let's say, Thing about uh, uh, brothers. So the that Uyghur uh, brother said that Allah says in Rasulullah Sallam say they are like a, a one body. So if I'm in pain, why the Muslim Ummah not feeling the pain? So there are two things. First of all, you are mu'min, you are Muslim, okay? The ummah, they are Muslim, we are not Muslim. Or, wallah, we are Muslim in this ummah, they are not Muslim. Uh, so, see, uh, subhanallah, we are busy with ourselves, with our family, with our kids. The target is Our family, only our family. Uh, and uh, how? We have to, we have to care. Uh, we, we must have pain for each other. If we don't have pain for each other, Allah will never help us. Allah will uh, never uh, assist us. So my request from everyone is to sign that petition and make uh, dua. <laughs> if you can't do anything, Muslim Ummah, if you can't do anything, So the petition has been signed uh, and posted. Don't hesitate to, to sign it. We, brothers who've been released, we've heard about things uh, such as Muhammad Rahim and 39 others. Um, and our next speaker is going to tell us about life. After Guantanamo and, and freedom from Guantanamo doesn't necessarily mean from oppression. Uh, our next speaker is well known to all, all of us. Malam is the you know, outreach director at Cage and former Guantanamo. After release, most prominent public speaker. Combatants. Uh, recently has been listed as by the Muslim 500 as one of the 500 most influential Muslims in the world. The new statements listed him as uh, one of the top 50 heroes of our time. Is a direct eyewitness to the conflicts in Bosnia, Afghanistan, and Syria. It has been recorded by the Columbia University All History Project and the BBC Storyville documentary, The Confession. Um, and in just two words, is Martin Beg. So the floor is yours, inshallah. <laughs> Rasulullah. 
the name of Allah, most compassionate, most merciful, peace and blessings be upon uh, the final messenger of Allah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Um, uh, you know, listening to first Muhammad Walid Salahi and then to Abdul Basit, what you see are two contrasting parts of the same story. The pleasure and the pain, the happiness and the sadness, the weakness and the strength, the anger and the sorrow. You, you see all of it. It's, it's, it's both things together. With, and, and that is what our humanity is. That's who we are as people. We're not singular robotic beings. We're both. Um, and it's important to remember that. When we heard Muhammad, uh, well, it's Salahi, the last thing you could think of when you saw him was torture and pain and suffering, bitterness and all of that stuff. And uh, you were actually found yourself smiling and laughing. That, that's what you felt. When you heard Abdul Basit speaking, you heard of the pain of losing a brother to an occupation, to a country that's been occupied by the world's most powerful superpowers in two decades of one another, and then living through that pain. You, you saw it there, you, you saw it there in, in just two men, and these are just two individuals of a story in which at least 779 prisoners are in Guantanamo, but thousands, tens of thousands are affected by it across the world. But to focus in and to hone in, and one of the things that you'll often hear from the Guantanamo prisoners, even, I think Abdul Basit said himself, uh, that when his brother, Muhammad Rahim, writes from Guantanamo, he says, this is from Guantanamo Mubarak, blessed Guantanamo. Because at some point, your abuse and your torture and your torturers um, no longer fulfill that job of uh, uh, being the people that frighten you. Now you've accepted your destiny, you've accepted what's taking place, and uh, as they say, you just get along with it. And that's one of the things you'll find amongst ev almost every prisoner I've come across, former prisoner, is that you don't find in them a sense of bitterness, malice. In fact, they say that this experience made them into stronger, better Muslims and people. But I want to talk about now, not about those people who are necessarily released, um, though they are free from Guantanamo. So you can be free from Guantanamo, but not free, not released. What do I mean by this? One of the ways to be free from Guantanamo, let's, let's just break it down. Um, there were the first groups of people who were, who were sent back or repatriated to the countries where they came from. Like myself, within three years, I was returned after three years. And, and most of the Europeans from the European nations who were nationals of those countries were returned to Europe. Um, then there were others who were sent to countries, though they were nationals of those countries, um, they were returned to torture. They were returned to persecution. For example, the case of several of the Russian prisoners, where in fact some of them were, one of them was actually killed by the Russian government. Um, and so going back to Russia, which in the beginning had been an option, uh, then for any Russian um, prisoners was no longer a viable option, so they would have to uh, seek to be returned elsewhere. The story of the Uyghurs, of course, is well known. There were 22 of them, and they were spread all around the world to little tiny little islands in the, in the Atlantic and the Pacific and, um, you know, El Salvador and Bermuda and Palau and uh, Albania because of the, the tentacles of China and how far they could reach and affect these prisoners um, who were a, a Turkic people. And it would be natural for them to go to Turkic-speaking places, but for the influence and the fear of China. Um, and then there's the story of the prisoners who are the largest number of prisoners in Guantanamo. And who are they? They are 
the ones, they are Sa the Saudis and the Yemenis. Now I said the largest numbers of prisoners came from Saudi Arabia, but they're the ones you least hear about. So even now when, when we're talking about the circuit as it were, former Guantanamo prisoners who've written, who've done interviews, who've done talks and so forth and so forth, perhaps the only one you can think of because he's not in Saudi Arabia is Shakir Amr. That's probably the only one that you know. As for the, other, the others over a hundred, you know nothing of them because straight from Guantanamo they go into Saudi Arabia and either as part of this, and remember, it's really important to remember this, that the idea of the now toxic prevent program actually originated from Saudi Arabia. Gordon Brown at the time actually in 2008 was visiting um, Saudi Arabian uh, reformation centers, whatever you want to call them, re-education centers, um, and actually met with former Guantanamo prisoners or Guantanamo prisoners there. So this was happening to them, they're completely silenced. Some are still imprisoned or under different various measures of house arrest. Um, Mohammedu said something very, very potent, very, very, very important. He said, whilst we may talk about all of the things that are happening in the West and so forth, he said it was repeatedly, he said, his own country, uh, Mauritania, then Jordan, then Afghanistan, and then finally to America. So all of these Muslim countries are deeply not complicit. In fact, I would say that they are the originators in many cases of these abuse um, uh, regimes. And it therefore stands, you'll be unsurprised if I say to you that the largest group of people, the largest group of prisoners set, resettled. So I, I, I explained to you what resettlement means. There are prisoners who were resettled. The resettlement program began under Obama and there was an office opened up specifically with a special envoy whose job was to find homes for prisoners who were cleared for release but couldn't go back to their homes of origin because of fears of torture. Now, why would they be tortured? The reason is because, ironically, you were in Guantanamo. If you were in Guantanamo, you must have done something wrong. Therefore, if you're coming back to this country in the Middle East, they will torture you because you were in Guantanamo, even though the Guantanamo authorities have cleared you for release. That's the irony of, of this, uh, this situation. And so this included uh, Egyptians before the revolu revolution, Tunisians, Libyans, uh, Algerians, Moroccans, and all of these, and, and people from other parts of the world, Palestinians, stateless Palestinians to this day are still in Guantanamo, like Abu Zubaydah. And so they had nowhere to go. And they were resettled to different places. Now, in some places, the resettlement program worked, and it worked well, especially in, in countries that were stable. And uh, the, 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 the prisoners, the former prisoners, were able to build up lives and make those lives uh, from different places. For example, several uh, Syrians uh, and uh, Tunisians resettled to Uruguay of all places. Um, and some struggled with that because they didn't speak the language, they had no relatives there, there were hardly any mosques there, hardly any community there, but this was the resilience of some of the prisoners that they made a life and continued some of places. Others made it back home after a, a massive and very painful odyssey. But the one particular case that sticks to my mind that I still uh, find deeply painful, especially because of how this country is regarded in the rest of the Western world and, and the world is the United Arab Emirates. And the United Arab Emirates is a country that has been seen as a beacon of, uh, of, uh, of business, of um, advancement, of uh, all sorts of things that people, uh, you know, people will go there to shop as a hub of money and wealth and all that is good, the bright side, the glittery side. 
What you don't see is the secret detentions program or the detentions programs they have running, running inside that country. So uh, several prisoners, including uh, uh, Afghans, um, uh, one Russian, and the rest all Yemenis, I think around 23 of them, were sent to, um, to the United Arab Emirates. Now think of this, you've been in Guantanamo for, for many, many years, and then you are told you are now going to be sent elsewhere. You're not totally sure. What does that mean? Does it mean if I'm going to go to a country that I've never been to before, surely they have nothing against me. What did I do to them? I never did anything to the Americans. Uh, but why, why would they do anything to me? So I expect that when I get released there, that I will have some kind of a life and you look forward to it. But on, other hand, on the other hand, you're told that it's likely you're going to go from Guantanamo to a prison in the United Arab Emirates. And as Muhammad was saying, we know as Muslims, and Muslims from the Muslim world, that if they send you from a, to, from a prison in the West to a prison in that part of the world, it is likely that you will be abused. And that's exactly what's happening to these, um, to these prisoners um, in uh, Guantanamo, in, in, uh, from Guantanamo who've gone to the United Arab Emirates and have been in prison there without charge or trial for at least three years. Now, the Afghans who were held there were released. One of them, um, uh, I think his name is Haji Hamidullah, was released last year. And he was somebody who had fought the Soviets. He had fought the Americans. He had been in Afghanistan for a long time. And uh, he'd been in prison by the Soviets and so forth. He'd even been in prison in Guantanamo. And uh, he said that the worst prison that he'd ever come across was the one in the United Arab Emirates because of their treatment of them and the expectation that these, surely they would be a little bit more merciful. And so the treatment of these prisoners here now, the majority of them who are Yemenis and there's one Russian who are held in the United Arab Emirates are afraid that they will get sent back to, um, to Yemen where in particular parts, say groups are in control that don't like them and therefore it is, it is very likely they'll be taken straight to be tortured or even killed. So these are some of the snapshots. This is just some of the snapshots of the life after Guantanamo. It doesn't mean necessarily because you're free from Guantanamo, you're free from prison or indeed free from persecution. There are not, there are not all uh, stories of doom and gloom, uh, but it is important now that we're talking about the end game, and it's really important you understand this. Just two days ago, um, one of the representatives of the United uh, House of Representatives, the, the congressman, stood up in the United States of America, just after the huge riots, riots that took place. And he said, and I quote, that these enemy combatants who are carrying out seditious activity in Donald Trump's supporters. Enemy combatant was the term that was used against us as former Guantanamo prisoners. We were all designated enemy combatants. And the reason why they did that was to ensure that once you're an enemy combatant, you don't have normal civil, human, or legal rights. In fact, it was so profound that they, uh, uh, three people in the United States of America were designated enemy, enemy combatants, including Ali al Murray, who has been a, a key case for Cage. Um, uh, and uh, so that's what was the purpose. So today now the wheel has turned all the way around and those people in power are designated or described as enemy combatants. Now, as far as the end game is concerned, we will be and, and continue to call upon the administration of the United States of America to close Guantanamo and to free, crucially, free the prisoners there. Um, 
there are a number of prisoners who are already cleared for uh, repatriation. And people like, for example, Abdul Latif Nasser, who's been there now for almost 19 years, um, uh, who I briefly remember I met in Afghanistan uh, many, many years ago. I think the last time I saw him was 2001. And he still not, has not been freed. He's not been charged with a crime. In fact, he's, he's eligible for release and has been cleared for release. He could easily go back to Morocco tomorrow where he wouldn't face persecution. Uh, there are other prisoners like we've spoken about so far in, in detail, like Abu Zubaydah, um, who's been tortured in many different countries like Thailand, Poland, Lithuania, um, Romania, and has been compensated. Can you imagine? Compensated by a European court judge uh, for his treatment, yet he remains without charge or trial in Guantanamo because he's a high value prisoner and they don't even know where to send him. So negotiations will be required with governments to uh, allow the return or the repatriation of such prisoners. But uh, we will be calling on the reinstatement of the Office for the Closure of Guantanamo for the Special Envoy to begin these, um, uh, uh, these things when Biden comes straight away. Unlike Obama, uh, Biden has said nothing so far about Guantanamo. He's made no promises. But the promise of his predecessor, and after all, he was the vice president at the time when Obama made that promise. So inshallah, this is it. And I believe that this entire movement, um, the film about Mohammed Walad Salahi, the Mauritanian, um, the campaigners around the world who have pushed for, this is the moment we're, we're going to be coming to because next year, this time around, will be 20 years. And no matter what you say, no matter what you say about who did what or who you think did what, if you haven't convicted them after 20 years of interrogations and torture and abuse and, and so forth, you're never going to. So it is time now to end this game. To, uh, and that game is called Guantanamo. Jazakallah khair. Assalamu alaikum wa and against Allah, an event is, is really not enough to, to do justice to, to the cause of Guantanamo because really each brother, each detainee um, has, a, has a story and has a, has a, you know, could make a movie about each of them. Um, but now what I'd like to do is uh, open the floor for, for questions, inshallah. So all the participants are um, asked or more than welcome to, to ask questions, inshallah, in the Q&A section at the bottom right, inshallah, of your screen. Feel free to ask your question and, uh, and direct it at either uh, Ma'adham or Abdul Basset. Mohammed Wutslahi uh, had to leave, unfortunately. Um, but let's start, inshallah. We have a first question from Sufyan, uh, from Ma'adham, who says, what should Muslims do regarding Saudi Arabia and the UAE and UAE's treatment of Muslim prisoners? Um, well, one of the things, it's, of course, is hard places, but we do. And of course, it's all. The United Arab Emirates is that there is a price. Between that they need to be called out, especially the Emirates, because of this uh, being a a conduit for, for detention without trial. The, the Guantanamo prisoners there uh, say that we, we would rather be in Guantanamo than where we are right now. And that's a shocking thing to say for a country like United Arab Emirates, which has such wealth and such, uh, such a position in the world. Uh, ultimately, we're saying that these prisoners should be uh, released in, uh, um, in the Emirates and given their due rights to live normal lives 
as other prisoners have in other countries that are far less well off. Uh, there have been, for example, 10 people repatriated to Albania, which is not the poorest of countries and is certainly not a beacon of democracy, but it is a place where people have been released and have been able to live their lives as normal. So surely uh, the Emirates shouldn't present itself worse than that. Uh, as for Saudi Arabia, then uh, as fortunately there are tens of thousands of prisoners uh, there who've got, who are political prisoners. And in the great scheme of things, the Guantanamo prisoners may have a particular position um, but when a country arrests people en masse like that, uh, it's, it's almost impossible to know where to start. The only thing you can say is that um, uh, it, it, you, you can see clearly where uh, the issues of human rights and so forth lie when no Western government will officially condemn uh, Saudi Arabia or, Sa or United Arab Emirates uh, for their treatment of their prisoners. Zakhlaou Kharans, if you have any questions, please ask it in the Q&A section. Make sure you don't ask it in the chat because we might miss it. So ask in the Q&A. There's a question. Assalamu alaikum. Uh, how have Guantanamo detainees managed to look after their mental health and well-being after suffering so much torture and oppression? Oh, that's an, uh, it's a huge question. And again, my experience, uh, so I will tell you as, as somebody that was limited to three years, um, there are things that there's a particular role of military. Again, these are all military. They come, when they come to your, to your cell, they come in their military gear. So they, the nickname for, the, for these uh, um, psychologists or psychiatrists is uh, Hitchcocks. They call them Hitchcocks. And you have to understand the reason why. It's because of, uh, there's a film called Psycho. Uh, and it's a famous film written, uh, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. And so the nickname for a, for a, um, a psychologist is, is a psych. And so that's where the, they're called Hitchcocks. And what they did in my case and have done in case of many other people is actually is, is come along and try to suggest ways to commit suicide when you're in a state of um, anxiety and so forth. I've, I've experienced that myself. I want to say that rather than to put all the, everything onto, onto them, they do, this clearly designed to, the Americans are far more um, involved in psychological torture than say the Arab countries that are, are more physical. Um, and that psychological torture, some would argue is far worse than the physical because you know the physical has an end and it, it can't continue. Whereas the psychological is, is very, it, it's long-term and its long-term effects are, are, are devastating. Um, and there is no program. I've not seen any particular program, um, government or otherwise, that has helped prisoners to, former prisoners to uh, survive or to come through that or to be treated um, as a result of what they endured. And uh, unfortunately, there's no mechanism. There never was for any of the prisoners who came back to the UK. I've not heard of anything remotely um, government-supported that's, that's done that. There have been NGOs who have assisted um, but again, I want, to, I want to reiterate, our faith has been a crucial, uh, uh, played a crucial role in us not becoming bitter, though we seek justice, in us not becoming vengeful, though we seek accountability, and in us not becoming despondent, though we, we seek to empower. Um, so that has been the role of our faith and, and those good people amongst us, uh, some, of the some of the Muslims and some are not Muslims but nonetheless, all who, who struggled along with us. Question from Linda. Thank you, Muazzam and everyone. When will the film be released? The movie will be released on the 19th of February, inshallah, 2021. So in a couple of weeks, inshallah. Um, 
question from Nuseba, what will it actually take to get Guantanamo closed? Um, essentially, it will take a presidential order supported by, um, by Congress. Um, once they, you remember that Obama said that he'll close Guantanamo, but he couldn't because he didn't have the support of Congress and they blocked it. And that was because of uh, how many were opposed to it um, from within the Republicans and I think even from within the Democrats. And all of that has to do with the language. You see, it's really important. Obama was key in all of this. He could have, he could have created the situation where it would have been viable to close Guantanamo. He had to say one word or two words rather, um, innocent men. If he would have said innocent men, then this would no longer be a problem because once they're innocent, hold, the, the notion of holding people innocent in prison uh, is enough to, to, uh, to change the status quo. But he didn't say that. He, he said, we tortured some folks and Guantanamo is, a, uh, um, is, is, is something that uh, is not good for how we look and, and so forth. But he didn't say the one word that he should have said, and that is innocent. And if people have not been charged and tried and convicted for crimes after 20 years of investigations, then they are innocent. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what anybody says. Um, so that's what's going to take. It's going to take somebody brave and bold to come along and say that we've been holding innocent men. And I think that that's what I believe that um, um, uh, the film, The Mauritanian, does in Mohamedou's case. And if you can break into at least a part of the United States that sees that, then it may make a difference. So. Question from uh, for Abdul Basit: uh, Does Mohamed Rahim have children, and how do they impact his family? Uh, yes, Mohamed Rahim has uh, eight children, seven children, mashallah, uh, two daughters and uh, uh, five sons. Alhamdulillah, and uh, they are living in uh, Lahore. Uh, Pakistan, they are refugees there. And uh, alhamdulillah, this was the question. Huh? Yes, another question from Nusayba uh, to, for you, Brother Abdul Basit. Is, uh, has it been difficult to run this campaign for your brother or do you feel hopeful? Uh, alhamdulillah, uh, we are uh, hopeful, alhamdulillah. And, uh, because our belief is on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But uh, these are the wasila, how can, uh, my English is very poor, so I don't know uh, how to say these campaigns and these things are uh, wasila, you know. Uh, so inshallah, we are very hopeful, alhamdulillah, uh, because uh, subhanallah, uh, cage, they helped us a lot, subhanallah. Allah, when I see uh, Facebook and uh, Twitter and these things, so, and many uh, media, they are contacting us via uh, CAGE. So this is because of CAGE. Jazakumullah khair. So alhamdulillah, things are good, getting uh, good, better, inshallah al-azim, bidhanillahi ta'ala. Only I need uh, uh, brothers and sisters to help CAGE uh, and uh, make dua. For everyone, inshallah. A lot of questions are coming in. I'm not sure we'll have uh, the time for all of them. Bismillah, um, uh, let me look for one which hasn't been answered yet. 
question from Khadija. Uh, are the families of ex or remaining prisoners outside of Europe protected or at risk of torture? So I didn't understand the question. There's, there's risks, um, constant risks for the for the uh, those who are even connected to the former Guantanamo prisoners, um, and uh, so I know from having spoken to several of them is that they're very very careful about who they communicate with, how they communicate with. They some of them have been told not not even to call. It's, I mean, it's actually very, very painful conversations um, where they've been told by, by very close relatives, mothers, fathers, etc., please don't call here again because, uh, you know, they, they won't say it, but uh, it simply means um, that they're being monitored because of their connection to them. Uh, there was, I remember, um, one sister, she was, this was before the revolution in Syria. Uh, she was married to a brother um, uh, who was in Guantanamo, Syrian, and uh, she was detained herself because of her husband being in Guantanamo, she was detained in Syria for a year before she was released. And then when uh, she tried to leave Syria during the revolution, her son, who her, her husband hadn't seen since he was a child, was actually killed during um, that, that point. And that eventually when he was released, he, went, he was one of the people sent to Uruguay um, he, he never saw his son again. So there are very painful stories about families that have been uh, affected uh, in some of these areas. Uh, normally, you won't have this happening in Europe. It, it did happen perhaps in the first, in the early days, there were some issues, but um, as, as we've said many times, that it is some of those other places that are completely totalitarian, uh, where um, everybody's at risk, even family members, even fathers and brothers and sisters. Question from Aisha. Are all the prisoners that remain in Guantanamo Muslim and are all, are all the detainees held since the time around 9-11? Okay, so yes, the answer is that, okay, I will tell you this. The first condition, there, is a, there are conditions for to be a, a Guantanamo prisoner, though they won't say it. The first condition to be a prisoner in Guantanamo is that you must be a Muslim. The second condition is that you are a terror, terrorism suspect. So when they say this is a war on terrorism, there are no Tamil tigers there who carried out suicide bombings. There are no Michigan militias there. There are no far-right militias there. There's nobody coming from any of the Combat 18 organizations or uh, any terrorist organization around in the world, of which there are many, in fact, tens of thousands probably. Uh, so the war on terrorism there, it proves that therefore, especially when it comes to Guantanamo, you must first be a Muslim uh, from any country in the world. It doesn't matter except for America. There are no American citizens in Guantanamo. There are 40 different countries. And as I said, then the second condition is that you're a terrorism suspect. Uh, there are those in Guantanamo who I would say uh, left, or there are a handful, one or two, who left the practice of Islam. And that is because of uh, pressures, and one in particular who, who will say, I'm still a Muslim in my heart, but I can't practice it. And that's because he comes from a background where he has no Muslims behind him. He's a, he's a revert to Islam. To, to, to Islam. Um, and everybody around him was non-Muslim. Uh, but it made no difference for us, for as far as we see, everybody there is a prisoner, uh, regardless of whatever they choose to do there or not. 
we still campaigned for them and continue to do so. Um, and if they were non-Muslims in Guantanamo, uh, we would make no distinction in campaigning for them. Um, so actually the prisoners are all Muslims and some of the guards became Muslim in Guantanamo, subhanAllah. Indeed, yes. Uh, one of the things that uh, Mahmoud didn't say is that his friend Steve, who came to visit him, um, had become a Muslim. And I've come across, of course, several who've become Muslims. So uh, that is one of the things that we, we've seen repeatedly with some of the, the American soldiers, which again is another reason, uh, and there are many, uh, f that, that we didn't all come out uh, hating and embittered towards them. Uh, question from Kawthar to Atalbatit. Do you have any plans to write a book about your experiences and your brother? Uh, yes, inshallah, Razim. Uh, several times I have tried uh, to, to write uh, a book about uh, my experience, my family, uh, uh, my brothers that they killed in the uh, 80s, and uh, about Muhammad Rahim. But uh, uh, to be honest, uh, uh, I need someone to write it. Uh, I say in the, they write it. So, uh, inshallah, yes, inshallah. Jazakallah khair. From Brother Muhammad Aqib uh, to Muadham, the U.S. have leased the area Guantanamo Bay, uh, the, there sits on from Cuba. Is there any work being done to remove the problem from its roots by bringing it to an end? What are the challenges to this? Well, this is a very interesting subject, and it's one of the it's one of the things that um, the, um, the United States of America chose Guantanamo on purpose. They've got remember America has bases all around the world, everywhere. Um, they could have chosen those bases, but they chose this one in particular. And that is because it's not sovereign U.S. territory, although in practical terms, it is. So I think this was after the Spanish-American um, um, Spanish War. Uh, the American naval, um, Navy took over this base of Guantanamo. Uh, and for those who don't know, there is a real Guantanamo city, which is in Cuba proper. Guantanamo Bay and the naval base there, it's like a 45-mile, square-mile um, area that is in U.S. custody. That is sort of US, that's kind of in, been in U.S. custody for for at least um, eighty odd years. When Fidel Castro took uh, took power in the fifties, uh, he refused to recognize America's uh, presence there, and um, the Americans in turn kept on sending him checks for around five thousand dollars to pay for rent, which he refused to cash um, as a token gesture to say that we still have we're still here. Um, the area between Guantanamo Bay and Guantanamo City, i.e. Cuba, is still landmines between those two areas. And we used to hear sometimes uh, the guards on the, the, on the radios uh, speaking in Spanish to some of the Spanish American, American Spanish guards who spoke Spanish, um, chatting with one another. So it was completely, uh, there was a strong military presence between, between the... Uh, Uh, this um, uh, exchange shops, cinemas, everything uh, there for the benefit of the entire structure 
uh, that that uh, supports the Guantanamo team. And even before that, even before Guantanamo became a prison, it was a holding site for the uh, Haitian refugees in 1993 or 94. Um, so this has been a this has been a naval base and conti will continue to be a naval base no matter what. And essentially, when we say close Guantanamo, we don't mean close Guantanamo with a naval base. We mean close Guantanamo, the prison camp. Um, I will take a last question. There are many, many more questions, but that's all we have time for. The question which is directed at both of, of uh, you, Madam and, and Abdel Basset. How does it feel when former prisoners like yourselves come together and see each other? What emotions do you experience when, it, when this happens? Azam, you answer this. It's both of you. Well, yeah. You know, for, for me, it's, you know, variety is the spice of life. One of the amazing things for me, especially for the, for the Guantanamo prisoners, is that they're from 40 different nations. And because they're from all these different things, and there's a, there are several things that, that, that unite us. One is that we're Muslims. Two is that we're Muslims accused of being connected to terrorism. Three, is that we all were in the same or similar places. Um, Bambu wasn't in, in Guantanamo, but he was in Bagram. For, for, for me, that's just the same thing. Um, and when we sit and talk together about those experiences, people we met, things we experienced, like Abdul Basit said, you really can't, though this is not to be exclusive, it's not an attempt to be exclusive, but how can you explain something to somebody that they haven't seen? You know, in Arabic, you have the same, Laysan khabar kel ayana, that hearing about something is not like seeing it. Um, yes. And so that's what it's like. It's just like we're connecting with somebody, though you've not, sometimes I've, if I've traveled to places and met prisoners around the world, in Slovakia or, or uh, Egypt or Sudan and so forth, instantly there's a recognition. Uh, I've never met Muhammad Walid Salahi, like in, 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 other than in Bagram for a few moments, yet instantly there's this recognition of, of experience. And that will, I think, remain regardless. The, the bond was created. Uh, it wasn't of our own making, but it was um, something that resulted. Abdel Basset, do you want to answer the question as is directed both of you? Uh, yes. Uh, things uh, like when we meet, uh, that is... Uh, uh, like Mazam knows, that's a different world, you know, like uh, uh, Guantanamo in the Bagram prisons. They're not like a prison in the UK. I was asking uh, whom? Uh, Mazam, I was asking you or Arnaud uh, that uh, how the prisons are in UK uh, maybe five, six years ago. And uh, you were explaining me that uh, they have this, these facilities. <laughs> I was laughing, you know, saying like, this is five-star hotels, you know. Uh, There's no comparison. There's no comparison. No, 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 there is no comparison. So when we see now uh, we are sitting on sofas and uh, we are eating good food in these things and we are free, subhanAllah. So subhanAllah, I feel uh, sometimes we, uh, when we're sitting in Muazzam, uh and we're talking about those memories, uh, those things, so subhanAllah. That's like a dream. But to be honest, I want to add one thing. We were in a very tough place, subhanAllah. Only breathe. This, this was in our control sometimes. 
when they were not using like pepper spray, you know. So only this one in our life that was in our control, our water, our toilet, our food, our uh, medicine, everything was uh, in their control. But subhanAllah, Allah gave us people saying uh, Sakina and we are uh, reading in the Quran Sakina. But wallahi billahi, I've seen millions times this Sakina there uh, in different occasions. I have seen this Sakina. Uh, there was very bad hunger. Wallah, Maza knows uh, those days in the uh, background. There was a very bad hunger, uh, health issues and these things. But there was Sakina, there was no depression. There was, we were depressed, but we never felt depressed. When we come out, I was thinking like, uh, uh, I'm the very uh, knowledgeable person and uh, mentally I'm very, very, very perfect. I was not feeling. But when we came out from prison, Oh, after a couple of months, uh, I thought, oh, I'm not, I'm, I'm 70% uh, disabled, you know. So, subhanAllah, uh, we are feeling different. Yeah. Yes, for so those, those of you who don't know, the word Sakina just means tranquility. There's a, a serene tranquility. tranquility. Uh, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and that is, yeah. That is, uh, that is absolutely correct. That's absolutely correct. That's all we have time for, and inshallah we will uh, wrap up. And I think that the, what Abdul Basit has mentioned is, is, is crucial: is that detainees, despite the hardship, they are feeling um, a type of tranquility. And for them, their duty is to remain patient until uh, release comes. But for us, uh, our duty is to remain active and to do our utmost and do everything that is in our power. To, to obtain justice for them. And um, I want to, before we leave, I want to leave you with a few things which uh, uh, you, know, you can do to participate in, in, in the uh, obtaining uh, of justice at Guantanamo. Uh, number one, once again, please uh, sign the petition for Mohammed Rahim. He is uh, one of the last two Afghans detained in Guantanamo and is uh, been diagnosed with what could be cancer. So um, his, uh, his release is, is uh, uh, not only uh, because he's, he's innocent, but also because he needs medical attention. Uh, he's not being uh, given the medical attention which he needs in, in Guantanamo. So sign the petition. Uh, number two, uh, feel free to go and watch uh, the movie, The Mauritanian, telling the story of Mohammed Wurzlahi and uh, his lawyer, that's out on the 19th of February, inshallah. Uh, number three, very important is, CAGE is uh, probably the only uh, organization which is led by survivors of Guantanamo, which is led by survivors of the war on terror, trying to end the injustice and bring about some, some solution. So please donate to Guantanamo. Do, do not donate to Guantanamo, donate to CAGE. Donate to CAGE, inshallah, and, and, and assist us in, in continuing this work. Uh, CAGE um, was started to uh, you know, lift the, the oppression and, 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 uh, and the injustice at Guantanamo, but now there's much more that CAGE uh, has had to take on. So we need uh, your support. Your support has been very valuable and, and, and crucial to, to continuing our work. So please donate to Cage. 
Lastly, um, there are 40 men who remain in Guantanamo. Uh, many of us will, will not know their name. Um, they are, as uh, Adel Basset and as mentioned, they are numbers and we do not want them to remain numbers. So for that purpose, we've created uh, small cards uh, with a picture and with a, a short description of the name and, and the ordeal of each of the 40 Guantanamo detainees. So we will be sharing this on social media and we will be emailing them to you. So please share with, with all your contacts. You know, humanizing them, uh, humanizing detainees is key to obtaining their release. Someone asked how Mardam was released and I think that uh, um, one of the best things I've ever heard is uh, by Clive Stafford Smith who presented you. He said that you know, no one was released via courts. Everyone has been released through public opinion and public pressure. So public pressure is us, is you. So you can do uh, your bit in Canada. So share uh, and, and, and join our call to not only close Guantanamo, um, but end the injustice for all the detainees. We have four main uh, calls, which we will be uh, releasing soon. Number one, we want the reinstatement of the US envoy to the closure of Guantanamo. Number two, we demand and we want uh, the, the repatriation program to restart so that detainees can be transferred. Number three, we want to ensure that all detainees have appropriate support after they release. As Martham has mentioned, many detainees are not receiving the support that they need. And they also need to receive compensation. That's something that is not being talked about where you have people detained for decades and tortured and there needs to be a discussion about compensation. Um, and lastly, <clears throat> um, you know, I forgot the number four, uh, but inshallah, this will be our call uh, and we can, inshallah, we can all join. And I really want to thank you and apologize to all of the attendees who asked questions and which we could not take, unfortunately. But thank you very much for your support and your patience and stay connected with us. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. Subscribe to our newsletter and you will receive all the updates. And Jazakumullah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.